Good morning. How y'all doing? Good morning. Good. Good. You know, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, you are going to stand before Jesus to give an account. Just like uh, Charlie Campbell has already been there for that. To give an account. Not of your sins. When we stand before Jesus, it won't be to give an account of our sins, but what we've done in obedience to him. During our pilgrimage on this earth, in this life. So your conduct here and my conduct here should be obedience just as if we are in his presence right now. Just as if Jesus was walking with you side by side every day. Our attitude and our conduct should be such that there he is and I'm standing in front of him and he's watching me. And he's hearing what I have to say. And our response is so great a salvation that we've been talking about. You know, as we look forward to our inheritance that we've been talking about, our response should be hope, and our response should be holiness, and our response should be honor. And that's what we're going to uh, start off with this morning. Uh, Last week we talked about holiness, and we talked about hope, and this morning we're going to continue with honor. Honor. Honor is basically reverence to God. And it follows right along with being holy. Look in uh, 1 Peter, if you would, chapter 1, verse 17. Peter writes, If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. He begins with if, okay? It's the same word you would use for since. It's if, and that's a fact that it is, or you could say since. So since we address as Father the one who impartially judges us, since we address God, since we pray to God, if you will, since we call on him, since we do that, uh, he's going to judge. Uh, 2 Corinthians talks about this. Chapter 5, verses 9 through 10 reads, Therefore we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And he's talking about Christians here, okay? We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive compensation for his deeds done through the body in accordance with what he has done, whether good or bad. And then Paul also wrote back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, Precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work which he is built on remains, that means through the fire, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet as though 
through the fire. So he's talking about rewards here. Rewards. He says, if anyone's work that he is built on remains, he's going to get a reward. In other words, Peter's saying here, because God is the one that you call on, and he's the one that you pray to, and he's the one who judges and gives rewards. Uh, when I first heard teachings like this, my response was, oh man, I want to I do everything for God so I can get rewards. You know, it was like that, that was a carrot out there. I don't think that's why uh, Jesus has it that way. I don't think what, why he taught it that way. I think he's just reminding us that as we do what we were supposed to do, as we're in obedience to him, as we live our lives as if he's walking next to us, as we do that, by the way, there's something else waiting for us in heaven. There's something else there. And because, because we have rewards that are going to be waiting for us, because that happens as we do the Lord's work, then we should conduct ourselves accordingly. And that means in fear during the time of our stay on earth. At the end of the day, do you take introspection and say, okay, Lord, if now is the time I would stand before you, what would you say about today? What would you say about today? Would there be any rewards resulting in what I had to say and do today? He says, conduct yourselves in fear. That's the idea of reverence. That's the idea of awe and respect. We don't have to have a, a fearsome fear of God as if when we stand before him, he's going to slap us down or judge us for our sins. That's not the fear. It's not to be afraid of him. It's the fear of reverence. It's the fear of, I am going to stand before him, and he is going to tell me how good I did. Is he going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? So Peter here is given a call for reverent living. Remember, he's talking to people during persecution, and one of the things he's saying to them is, you got to think about how is your walk, with or without persecution, how is your walk? Now, question comes up, well, why should we live our lives in the fear of God? Since we have our inheritance, and we do, if we're saved, we have an inheritance. We're going to heaven. And that inheritance, as we've already discussed, it's guaranteed, it's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's reserved for us. So living our lives here on earth, what difference is going to make for us getting to heaven. And really, it doesn't make a difference for us getting to heaven, but it makes a difference for us as far as rewards that are we waiting for us in heaven. We bring glory to him. That's it right there, okay? And that's the greatest reward. Yes, amen. Yeah. You know, the fear of God is not the fear that he's going to take his grace away. We don't live in fear that we're going to lose our salvation. We don't live in fear that we're going to do something wrong or do a certain sin that's going to take our salvation away, take back our salvation. The fear of God is a reverence. It's, it's a response to God's love for us. Reverence to God is how a regenerated child is going to respond to such a great salvation. You know, um, I don't know if you've seen the movie The Christmas Story, 
But you notice on Christmas morning how they're unwrapping gifts. If you've seen that movie, it's unwrap one, toss, toss the gift aside, grab another one, unwrap it, toss it aside, and you keep on going through the gifts, right? All right. Well, unlike that child who opens the Christmas gift and looks at it and then grabs the next present to unwrap it, when we receive the gift of salvation, folks, God's grace, we, we hold on to it knowing that there is no greater gift, that there is no gift more costly, that there is no gift that's longer lasting, that there is no gift given with more love. That's our salvation. That's why we should hold on to it. It's a gift that we never would have asked for and one that we want others to have. So now let's, uh, let's develop this a little bit more as Peter does in verses 17 through 21. Follow along with me as I read that, please. If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. If you could pick one word in there and say that's the key word in that, those group of scriptures, what would you come up with? What, what do you think is the key word there that Peter is really uh, pressing upon? Would it be believe? That's a good one. But that's not the key one right there. Holy. Is that Woody? Holy. Holy. That's a good one. It's not the key one. Hope. Hope. That's a good one because he uses it two other times already. That's not the key one. I've been looking at your notes. All right. Knowing that you were not what? Redeemed. Redeemed. Redemption. Redeemed. Redeemed is the the key word right there because that's what he's going to talk about right now. He's going to talk about what it means as far as redeemed. Peter reminds his readers that their motivation to live their lives in reverence to God is because we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That's the motivation. Now, I know you guys know that. You've heard that several times. Uh, You've sung the song. All right, we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and everything. So, uh, you know, sometimes there's some some parts of scriptures or some truths that become so common in our thought that we don't give them a lot of thought. Uh, you hear it so often that you don't really give it some deep thought and some meditation. Peter's going to do that for us this morning. Um, hey, we, yes? Are you saying that there are different degrees of reward in heaven? Is that what you're um, I, I don't know... I don't, I don't want to say degrees. I'm going to say there's different rewards. 
Uh, humanly, we like to say degrees because we're always comparing this is better than that is better than that. That's exactly what you're doing. I mean, if you're saying your reward will be greater if you do such and such and such. Yeah, but greater than what? Okay, greater than what? So that's going to have to be another offshoot. All right, remind me of that one, okay? All right, thank you. But re redemption, being redeemed, deals with the cost of salvation and the means by which God has received his payment, has received his payment. So uh, redeemed means to purchase. It means to release. It means to pay a ransom. Um, it was used... If a soldier was caught in battle and they wanted to bring him back and they would pay money to get the soldier back to his own side, that word was used for that. Um, when you think of redeemed, uh, what do you think of? What do you think of when you think of redeemed? To buy back like you would, for example, if you um, pawn something away or something like okay. that. All right, paying money to get something back, buying back something back. Uh, first of all, it kind of gives you the idea of something that you already have, and now you're getting back, but you're p making a payment for it, aren't you? Okay. Uh, you've probably heard uh, teaching that was used as slaves also. If there was a slave on the auction block and you wanted to get that slave, then you would pay for that slave or, or, or pay a ransom for them, if you will, uh, that's the way it's often used. For us then, if we take that analogy, we were slaves to sin. We were slaves to sin. And guess what? We had to be ransomed in order to be reconciled with God. We had to be ransomed. And Peter reminds us of our redemption, and he does it by drawing upon, actually drawing upon Old Testament passages Notice that he talked about a lamb, okay, a lamb in here, and he's speaking about an unblemished lamb. Uh, so what do you think he's referring to in the Old Testament when he's referring to an unblemished lamb? Where? Qualification for a lamb to be offered as a sacrifice. Yeah, and uh, where do we really first see that? Abraham, okay, but actually uh, the killing of a lamb in order to ransom somebody, and we go back to Exodus, and we go back to Moses. You go and back we, to when Jesus closed Adam and Eve, and he had to kill an animal to put that clothing on them. Okay, but we don't know it was a lamb. I didn't say, right. say it was a lamb. Okay. It was an animal, it was a skin. Yes. Okay. okay, Ashton. What I'm trying to get us to is where in the Bible does it talk about a lamb who is going to be slain in order to ransom. Okay? Where where are we now? We're we're in Exodus. Oh. Okay. Okay. We're gonna go to Exodus with this. Go to Exodus, if you would please, chapter twelve. Because this is what Peter is alluding to here. Here's here's he's reminding his readers of. All right. In other words, he's setting a context that this comes out of the Old Testament, if you will. Could I have somebody read Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 13? Please. The Passover, 
the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For this I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. <coughs> and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Okay. Who's being redeemed here? <clears throat> children of Israel. All the children of Israel? The ones who... <clears throat> who's being redeemed? No. no, just the firstborn. The redemption here is for the firstborn. Who's going to die if they don't do this? It's going to be the firstborn. Not all the Israelites, but just the firstborn. So you do have somebody re being redeemed here. Specifically, someone's being redeemed. And um, there was a cost, a price, to spare that life of the firstborn child. What was the cost? Death of what? Of a lamb, of a lamb, death of a lamb, an un unblemished lamb, okay, the, as you might say, the perfect lamb, okay, but that was, the death of that lamb had to happen in order to spare the life of the firstborn child in that house. So the sacrificial death, if you will, of that innocent substitute redeemed those firstborn who were in bondage. And this became the symbol of substitutionary redemption. Anytime you see substitutionary redemption in the Bible, it goes back to this because this is God's real example of what has to happen in the future. This is what I'm doing for the firstborn here. But he says this is what's going to have to happen sometime in the future 
for the redemption of mankind. Now, God decreed that the Passover is to be celebrated every year. But it's not just a reminder of what God did for Israel and for the firstborn and for Israel's deliverance from bondage in Egypt. But even more, this was to look forward to the true lamb, to the true lamb who would die and raise again as the perfect, final, substitutionary sacrifice to redeem sinners by his blood. Now, the motivation to live a reverent life before God, as we talked about in verse 17, is evident as Peter answers four questions about redemption, about being redeemed. What did God redeem sinners from? What what did he redeem them with? By whom did he redeem them? And for what did he redeem them? And hopefully by the time we get through these scriptures, um, just like we think about our inheritance in heaven, just like we think about our salvation, perhaps this is going to be redemption more on our minds just as we live from day to day. Another way to say these is what were they in bondage to? What was the cost or the price? Who paid the price? And what did it do for them? So first of all, let's look at this one. What did God redeem sinners from? What were they in bondage to? So look back in 1 Peter. Verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life. From your futile way of life. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 6 verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self, our old feudal way of life, was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. And then he goes on in verses 17 and 18. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, that was your feudal way of life, you were slaves of sin you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were entrusted. And after being freed from sin, you became slaves to righteousness. Now, the the feudal way of life, Peter's already actually talked about back in verse 14. He says, As obedient children do not be conformed to the former lusts. To the former lusts. Uh, Lusts. Those are driving passions. They're usually for what is evil. Lusts are what drive us into temptation, if you will. Now, where do lusts come from? The environment? Lusts come from the environment? Uh, Lusts come from the devil? No, no. Where do lusts come from? Right here. Uh, Ashton's pointing to his, uh, his, I think that's his heart. Move your hand over a little bit and you got your heart. There you go, okay? That's right, they do. Uh, remember Genesis 5, 6, 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of mankind was great on the earth 
and that every intent of the thoughts of their hearts, of their hearts, was only evil continually. The devil doesn't have anything to do with that? No. Doesn't. Nope. I'm sorry. You can't say the devil made me do it. (laughs) Can't do that. That was bad theology. All right. James 1, 14 through 15. Look at this. But each one is tempted, Gene, when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it has run its course, brings forth death. I don't remember where Jesus said it, but it's out of the heart come what? Murders and all evil things out of the heart. Now, verse 14 describes these lusts coming from ignorance. In other words, a lack of spiritual understanding. Uh, we see that in Ephesians 4.18. We're uh, talking about the sons of disobedience. Paul writes that they were being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because, because of the hardness of their heart. Your futile way of life. Uh, Paul refers to the, the Gentiles walking in futility in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Now, how would you describe what is a futile way of life? How would you describe what's a futile way of life? Lacks purpose. Good one. Lacks purpose. That's right. That's a good one. Any other descriptions? Living for yourself. Good. How about a life that is vain? How about a life that is useless? A worthless existence. No meaningful or lasting results. That's a futile way of life. And that's the life of an unredeemed person. From eternity's perspective, if we look at it from God's point of view, anything an unbeliever does in this life is worthless and of no value. Now that that one takes us back a little and says, well, wait a minute, you know, wait a minute. You know, and that's what we were redeemed from. The fact that before we got saved, nothing we did had any eternal value to it. And when you think about the greatest accomplishments, those people who have won all these Nobel Prizes, Nobel Peace Prize, you know, those are given to people who start wars and then they end the war and they get a peace prize for that. All right? How about uh, all the Nobel Prizes for advancements in medicine? Those people who have developed things in medicine, like salt, and that has saved Thousands, maybe even millions of lives, all right? Those people who have provided food to feed millions, guess what? None of them are going to be celebrated in glory. None of them are going to be remembered in glory. None of them are going to be celebrated and remembered in in Christ's kingdom. Why? Because they were not done for Christ. All right. They were not done in the faith. That's right. That's right. We're talking about unbelievers. What's that? They could have been 
Oh, if, if they were believers. I'm talking about unbelievers. Anything an unbeliever does. Now, if a believer's doing it, well, yeah. And then we go on to the rewards. Okay? So, yeah, good point there. Thanks for pointing that out. You know, we cannot take our accolades and earthly rewards with us to heaven. You can't take it with you. And unbelievers will not be able to use them to pay for their sins when judged by Christ for their sins. Will be absolutely no good for them. I think it was Jim Elliott that said, Tis when life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Will last. All right? I think there's some good theology in that statement. You know, we have been redeemed from that kind of a futile life. We once lived a life where no matter what we did, it was no good for God. And it, it was no good for eternity. All right? And then we got redeemed. And once we got redeemed, then guess what? Our obedience to Christ and the things we did in ministry, according to what he wanted us to do, they do get something for us. And the futile way of life, Peter says, inherited from your forefathers. Fathers. You know, possibly there is nothing more futile than false religion. The worship of false gods. False worship of the one true God. And that has developed into traditions of men. The worship of idols. That's what he's talking about when inherited from your forefathers, inherited this kind of worship, if you will. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 7 through 9, You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy about you by saying, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain, okay, that's the feudal life, do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. All right. So, what did God redeem sinners from? Their futile life. What did He redeem them with? What was the cost or the price for my redemption, for your redemption? Well, look at verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. All right. And then to verse 19. But what were you redeemed with? With precious blood, as of a lamb, unblenished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Notice we start out knowing, saying, "You already know, you already know this, that you you're not redeemed with gold or silver. Those are those would have been looked at as probably the most valuable things on earth, the most valuable materials on earth, if you will." Um, That's probably the most, at that time, the most precious thing that you can have here on this earth as far as having value. In Exodus 30, when a census was taken, the ransom of a half shekel was given for an atonement for every single person that was in that census. And it's kind of an allusion to that, and and Peter is saying there's no amount of money that could redeem souls from the bondage of sin. No amount of money. In other words, the most, the most valuable thing that you could find on this earth, material thing, 
could not redeem souls from the bondage of sin. Isaiah reminded everybody, for this is what the Lord says, you were sold for nothing and you will be redeemed without money. Money is not going to be the redemption. But what are redeemed with? The precious blood, the blood of Christ, as a lamb unblemished and spotless. That's what Christ did for us. Christ took the guilt for our sins. Our, the guilt for our sins were imputed to Christ. Our sins were not given to Christ because Christ was never a sinner. But the guilt for our sins was given to him. He didn't become a sinner, but God treated Christ as if he was a sinner. He made him to be sin for us. In other words, he made them to take on the, the guilt for our sins. But that doesn't mean he was tainted with sin. That doesn't mean he had actual sin. That doesn't mean he was a sinner. It just means he bore the guilt for the sin. And sin not his, but ours. He took the guilt for our sins. And God exacted from him the full penalty for whoever would be saved. You know, that's mind-boggling to me, that Christ would take the guilt for us, never having experienced that sin, but still take the guilt for us. And then take the wrath of God for the payment for that guilt. That's mind-boggling to me. Now, all sin is a violation of whose holy law? God's holy law. All sin is a violation of God's holy law. And therefore, a debt is then owed. So then, this is interesting. Who's the one to whom the price to be paid? The price to be paid for our sin by Jesus Christ giving his blood on the cross. Who is that paid to? Who's the ransom paid to? Is it paid to the devil? No. No. Who is it paid to? It's paid to God. God. Now stop and think about it. That's mind-boggling too. The debt is owed to God for our sin. Because we've sinned against him. That's what the debt is. So God, in order to collect that debt, gave his only begotten son. So God paid the debt for our sins that he needed to receive in order to redeem us. Now when it talks about the blood of Christ... Folks, that's not referring to his little blood. As if when it dripped from his body on the cross, it would have saved anyone who touched it. Not what it's talking about. It refers to the whole redemptive death. In other words, anywhere you see in the New Testament where it talks about the blood of Christ, it's talking about his redemptive death. It's talking about his dying. Not just the literal blood. I mean, if Jesus has cut his finger and put it someplace and saved it, that blood would not, touching somebody had saved him, the blood itself, all right? But it was a bloody death. It had to be a bloody death. When you look at the Old Testament sacrifices, as we just looked at, the Passover lamb, okay? How did that lamb die? Was it clubbed to death? Was it strangled? Was it just beat? Was it burnt alive? Was it drugged? Was it drowned? No. No. It was killed and its blood was let out. And that's how it was died. 
It had to be with blood loss. Why? <coughs> Why did the death of the Lamb <coughs> and the death of Jesus Christ had to be with the loss of blood? Exactly, Gene. For the blood life of the, the flesh. Of life. Yes. Leviticus 17.11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. The blood is associated with the life. So the loss of blood, the loss of life, if you will. This points out one of the Catholic Church's major errors where they believe when they have the high mass that the wine literally becomes the blood of Christ because they think since it's the blood of Christ, it does something for them. So they're wrong on, on several ways that way. The bloody death of Christ is the cost of the removal of the judicial guilt before God. You know, there's other effects that we get good effects from the, the blood of Jesus Christ and him dying. Uh, in um, Hebrews 9.14, our consciences are cleansed by the blood of Christ. Hebrews 10.19, we have bold access to God in worship and prayer because of the blood of Christ. In 1 John 1.7, we are progressively cleansed from more and more sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. In Revelation 12:11, we are able to conquer our accuser because of the blood of Christ. So Peter's reminding us also that we're rescued out of a sinful, futile way of life by the blood of Christ. Uh, look over in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. He's going to allude to this here. For Christ also died for sins once for all, <laughs> the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made our alive in the spirit. God redeemed sinners from the feudal life. He redeemed them with the blood of Jesus Christ, his death. So by whom did he redeem them? Well, it's kind of obvious or... Um, who paid the price? That's back in First Peter, chapter one, the end of verse nineteen. Christ, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So it's Christ. And then finally, for what did he redeem them? For what did he redeem them? What did it do for them? Well, let's look back at Verses 20 and 21. He says, For the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, 
gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. In other words, for you, for all of us who are redeemed. And we get a twofold blessing there. First of all, he talks about faith. All right? Faith. Your faith. And that's faith. That's the faith that enables believers to trust God for salvation, for God's grace of eternal life. That's faith right there for salvation. However, it's also faith for the here and now. It's the faith where we also have the grace to trust him in the midst of life's present circumstances, in our struggles, in our anxieties, and even in persecutions. So the redemption, what does it give us? It gives us the faith. It's a blessing from God, the faith, not just to be saved, but to keep on trusting God. Not just to trust God for your salvation, but to trust God for your health issues, to trust God for um, caring for you and your spouse or your children, trusting God that he's going to work in your children and in your grandchildren. And I could go on and on and on how this redemption helps us to have the faith that we need for everything that comes in life. And then hope. Hope. That hope is the same hope we've talked about. It's the hope in our inheritance. The faith is for the faith to believe and keep on believing while we're here. And the hope is our inheritance in heaven. It's the future. That's the third use of the word hope in First Peter. At the celebration of the Incarnation... One of the facts that we should always keep in mind is Christ was born to die a sacrificial death for us. And notice that he says foreknown, foreknown. Before creation, the Godhead decided that Jesus Christ would be born and would die and die a sacrificial death. Before we ever sinned, before there was ever sin on the earth, God had decided that Jesus Christ is going to be born and die on the cross. And that's the purpose of him being born, so that he could die on the cross to redeem God's children uh, from their sin. And when, and when you look at the, if you will, kind of the, the, the whole package of it all is um, God in eternity past has determined that he wants mankind who's going to glorify him. Why would mankind glorify him? Because God gives mankind the greatest gift that he could ever give. The gift of salvation. But that gift cost. In order for him to give that grace, that gift... That costs God. It cost him his son dying on the cross. Just a few closing questions. Did you ask God to redeem you? Did God redeem you because you asked him to? Did you ever come up with a plan and say, oh God, I need to be redeemed? Would you do that? Um, could you redeem yourself? Could you have redeemed yourself? Is that even possible? Could anyone else have redeemed you? Unlike the Catholic Church, which believes, okay, you can redeem souls who are in purgatory. 
Could could there be a greater cost for your redemption? Could there be a greater cost that you could think of for your salvation other than Jesus Christ dying for you? Can you think of something more valuable? Did you do anything to earn your redemption? You know, Peter's answers to these questions about redemption should cause us to rejoice, folks, in the God of our salvation, who has redeemed us from feudal lives to give us eternal life. And that's something we can be celebrating during this season. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your plan of redemption. I thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you so much that you created a plan so that we can give you glory today and glory for all eternity because, Heavenly Father, you deserve it because of who you are and what you have done. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.